we have come to that section of 1 Samuel where David is being chased around the wilderness by King Saul. And the stories that happen to him, the lessons that he learns are so important. So if you want to read ahead, chapters 21 through 25, you can read ahead and then we will cover those on uh, this Wednesday night, starting at 6.30. Not, but uh, anyways, this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 17, it's story time. Hopefully you can picture yourself in your PJs with some milk and cookies and ready to go because we've heard this story a bunch of times. But I just believe the Lord has something fresh and new he wants to say with us. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to read most of the story of David and Goliath, and then we'll talk about it in a few minutes. But we'll also put a picture up on the screen of the Valley of Elah, so you can get kind of a visual of where this has taken place. You can picture the Philistines on one side of that valley and the Jews on the other. In verse 2, it says, In Saul... And the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. And now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went out from before him. And he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said to them, I'll do my best Goliath impersonation, Why have you come out to line up for the battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed. They were greatly afraid. Now David, the son of the Ephraimite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Elib, the firstborn, and next to him was Abinadab, and the third was Shamu, Shama, I'm sorry. So I'm just making sure you're still awake. Verse 14. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. And Jesse said to his son David, Take now your brothers an ephod of dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of the thousands and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And so David rose early in the morning. He left the sheep with a keeper. 
and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp of the army. They were going to fight and shouting for battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left the supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and into the army and came and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches. He will give him his daughter. Which seems to contradict giving him great riches. But anyways, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him and said, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same manner and said, So it shall be done for the man who kills him. Now Elab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke and, and, and spoke to the men. And Elab's anger was aroused against David and said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those, notice, few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride, the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? These guys are obviously brothers fighting amongst themselves. But then he turned from him toward one another and said the same thing and the people answered him as the first ones did now when the words which David had spoke were heard they were reported to Saul and he sent for him and David said to Saul let no man's heart fail because of him your servant will go and fight this Philistine and Saul said to David you are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth but David said to Saul Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, it went after it and struck it and delivered it from the lamb of its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck it and I killed it. Love, David. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So he tries to put, you know, Saul's armor on in verses 38 and 39, but it doesn't work because they're too big. Look at verse 40. So he, that's David, took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in a shepherd's bag in the pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him and when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come near to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth will know there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know the Lord does not save a sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." And so it was when the Philistine arose and came near and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it. And he struck the Philistine in his forehead so the same stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. What a great story. Father, As we take a few minutes to unpack this story together, I pray, Lord, you give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. So often when we come to a story that's super familiar to most of us, there's a tendency to tune out, a tendency to think, well, I've heard that before. I know how to apply that to my life. But I believe you have something fresh you want to say to our hearts today. God, you know us intimately, and so I pray that we would see from this story how to be a man or a woman after your own heart, to have your heart like David did, to pursue it like he did, into great victory upon victory. Speak to us this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, David and Goliath, classic, classic, classic Bible story. One that unless you are brand new to Christianity, you have definitely heard this story before. In fact, you can go poll the second, fourth, fifth grade classes and you ask those boys what their favorite Bible story is and about 90% of them, I guarantee, will say, David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Oh, tell me the story, young man, and they can tell you the story. Goliath went, and David went, and the stone went, and then it went, boom, into Goliath's mind. And Goliath thought, nothing's ever entered in my mind like that before. And then he fell onto the ground and boof, went the cloud of dust. And then David took out Goliath's sword and chopped off Goliath's head and held it up with giant veins. Just to, no, the kids wouldn't say that. But anyways, you know the story. It's gross, it's gruesome, and it's good. It's a great story. It's a great story. But though we've heard it a hundred times before, why did God include it in the canon of Scripture? What was he trying to communicate to you and me through this very important story in his word? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, which we always encourage you to do, it certainly helps you remember, helps you stay awake, but you may want to write a couple of things down, at least pray them in and think them through. I think, number one, God included this in the Bible as an inspiration for you and me. I believe this story is a great inspiration, number one. What do I mean? What I mean is all of us face giants. All of us do. Now, not Jack and the Beanstalk kind of giants. But we all face giant circumstances in our lives. Maybe for you, that's manifesting itself right now in the form of a giant health issue. Maybe you're facing something that you have no ability to combat in your own strength. 
I've shared with some of you that my mom called this week and let me know that they've diagnosed her with stage four cancer. Just encourage you to be praying for her. Her name is Carol. Man, that's a giant. It's a giant in her life. It's a giant in my family's life right now. Maybe that's where you're at. It's a giant health concern. Maybe for you, that's not it. It's a giant relationship problem. The person that you're with, your husband, your wife, whatever, they might as well be a Philistine giant. What did you say about my wife? No, not size-wise. I just mean problem-wise. That this person that you're with, they're not sensitive to the Lord. They're not caring about your needs. They're angry. They're bitter. They're blasphemous. And you have to deal with them all the time. And it's a giant of a relationship problem. Maybe for you, it's a giant financial problem. You look at the debt and your debt just seems to pile up like a nine foot tall giant over you. How is this going to happen? How am I ever going to get from under this financial burden? You're at the end of your rope. Maybe for you, it's a giant sin issue. You have a secret struggle with lust or an open struggle with bitterness. Maybe you're just angry all the time. You drive angry. I've seen you. You go to work angry. You took my order this week. You just, you're angry all the time. And you think, will I ever overcome? Will I ever get through this? Friend, God put this story in the word of God to be an inspiration to you. You see, David has to face a giant. He's just minding his own business bringing some food to his brothers. And as he gets there to the Valley of Elah, the Philistines have decided they want to choose single combat to resolve this issue. Now, this seems kind of foreign to us, but please understand this was normal in ancient warfare, especially when two nations had been fighting against each other and there had been heavy casualties in the past. They weren't fools. They said, hey, we're tired of losing half of our male population. We want to have one champion represent us. One champion will represent you. And whoever wins, well, you know, that person has to give back the disputed territory or whatever the battle was over that day in the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines say, we want representative battle, single combat to decide this war. And their champion, well a guy by the name of Goliath, a giant. Now, some unbelievers read this story and they think, well, here we go again. Here's why I've got a problem with the Bible. The Bible starts talking about mythological creatures that we know aren't real. Oh, friend, if you feel that way, please get the picture out of your mind again of Jack and the Beanstalk. That's not a Bible story. Goliath wasn't 30 feet tall and he had to bend down to take a look in your second story window. That's not who Goliath is. The Bible says that he was, he was six cubits tall and a span. A cubit, Bible scholars believe to be 18 inches. A span was about the size of a man's hand, four to six inches. So you do the math and you figure that Goliath, though not 30 feet tall, he's still a giant guy. He's about nine foot four to nine foot six. 
So he's just a couple inches taller than me, if you get a picture in your mind. Just, just, kidding, just kidding. No, he's enormous. But again, he's not from Middle Earth. He's not some science fiction character. In fact, he's just at the extreme end of the possibilities of human height. I mean, if you go check out Guinness Book of World Records, the, the, the tallest man they've ever found evidence for was 10 foot 6. That guy... Who, who, who we have his, you know, evidence about would have had a foot on Goliath. The tallest person alive today is eight foot three. So, so some humans are taller than me. Some humans have the potential to get really, really big, and Goliath certainly was that. But please also get out of your mind just a super skinny, super tall basketball player. No, Goliath wasn't just super tall. He was also super big. I mean, this guy was strong. We know that because the Bible describes his armor. Weighing 5,000 shekels, that's equivalent to about 125 pounds. His spear, which they said was about the size of a weaver's beam. Just the tip translates out to be about 16 pounds. And you kind of extrapolate that out and you've you've got a weapon that weighs about 40 pounds. Some guy standing there that can use it and wield it. Who is going to face this guy? That's what the Israelites are thinking. Because you see, on the other side of the ravine, you've got Saul who's afraid. Why is Saul afraid? Please remember, he's the tallest guy in Israel. He's shoulders and head above every other Jew in the nation of Israel. So he, Saul, is the logical choice to go out and fight Goliath. But Saul doesn't want any part of that. So he comes up with a deal. Whoever goes and fights Goliath, I will give him riches. I'll give him my daughter. And I will make his family exempt from taxes in Israel. Saul is afraid. Saul is cowering. And you contrast Saul to David. Instead of being discouraged, instead of cowering at this giant situation, David is going to run eventually at Goliath. I think that's the first time Goliath ever saw that in his life. He's used to seeing people run away from him and hide behind rocks and trees. This young man is running straight at him. What made David different? What made him different than the entire nation of Israel that was facing Goliath that day? Listen, if you're taking notes, if not, pray it in, think it through. How was David able to deal with his giant? Number one, David drew his strength from God's past faithfulness. You want this story to be an inspiration to you for the giant you're facing, your health giant, financial giant, sin giant, relationship giant. Number one, you have got to remember the things that God has done for you in the past. David goes to Saul. He says, don't worry, king. Don't worry. Don't worry. I will fight your giant. And Saul goes, what? What? You see, most Bible scholars believe David is between 15 and 17 in this story. So you that are in from the high school ministry this morning, welcome. He was your age. He'd have been somewhere between a sophomore, senior in high school. And Saul takes one look at him and says, you can't fight Goliath. 
You're just a kid. You're just a young man. And Goliath's been killing people since he was a young man. This isn't going to work. But then David says, listen, listen, listen. He says, you don't understand, Saul. When I used to keep my father's sheep, I love that. Look at verse 35. My job I had this morning, that's my old job. I used to keep my father's sheep. Now I'm a giant killer. I used to keep my father's sheep. But he said this, when I was keeping my father's sheep, a lion approached the flock. And that lion would grab a sheep and I'd go after that lion. A bear would come to the flock and I would, I would go after that bear. This is a crazy story, friends. This is a crazy story. I mean, any of you fought a lion in here? Any of you tackled a bear? And please keep it in mind that, again, if he's 15 and 17 to this story, he's a junior higher when this happens. Why have we not heard this story before? Why is there not a song that David writes in the Psalms about this? You know, I kill a lion. The lion sleeps tonight because I'm a lion killer. That's not in the Psalms. It's not in the Psalms. Why? Because please please understand, David's not bragging when he talks to Saul. David fully understands it wasn't me that killed the lion. It wasn't me that tackled a bear. David understood as a 12-year-old, as a 13-year-old, when he's watching his father's sheep, and not a coyote comes after him, but a lion, David realizes, God, if you don't show up, I will never get out of this alive. God, if you don't show up, this bear is going to take me down. But God had put David in circumstances where he had to realize, if you don't show up, God, I am curtains. And David makes the connection and says, that was true with the lion. That was true with the bear. And it'll be true with this Philistine. I have no right to go to battle him in the flesh but God will take him down. David is drawing on these past experiences. And friends, this is a must for all of us. We all go through things that act as preparation for things that God has for us later in our lives. I told the group on Wednesday night, you remember if you were here, that I will never forget the day that Scott Cunningham, our former youth pastor, resigned and said he was going to Costa Mesa and I was taking his place as youth pastor years and years ago. Crammed 80 some kids in that room and as they were talking, they just start wailing, all of them. No, Scott, don't leave! Because Scott was amazing. I mean, one of the most amazing worship leaders and songwriters on the planet. We used to call him the sweet psalmist of Vista. (laughs) This is what we were singing today, Raise Praise, one of Scott's old songs. Man, what a great youth pastor he was. And when they heard he was leaving, they were so, they they turn around and look at me and they're like, (laughs) I felt awesome that day. I'm like, here I am. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) I had to learn a lot really quick. And one of the things God had to show me was, you'll never be the sweet psalmist of Vista. You're not the worship leading pastor. But you can be who I created you to be. You have gifts and talents that are different and distinct, and you can't be somebody else. You gotta be who God called you to be. And that line of a situation, I didn't really understand until I got to Texas why God had walked me through it. But in Texas, I took over a church of about 15 people. It wasn't a lot. But their former pastor, oh man, 
He was one of those pastors who would just come over to people's houses all the time for dinner, showing up at all the birthday parties and stuff. He'd play softball with everybody after church every single Sunday. And I remember trying to be that guy at first and trying to compete with him and his time with the body. And the Lord's like, don't you remember? You've got to be who I've called you to be. You have distinct gifts and callings that are different. You've got to be your calling you to be. And listen, that's true of all of us. God walks you through situations to prepare you for what's coming next. It's why Pastor Rob and myself are always encouraging you to journal what God's doing in your life. To write down, right now, there's something you're facing. There's something you're worried about. There's something you need prayer for. There's something you're struggling with. Are you making a record of that? Because when God shows up, and he always does, you can come back years from now. You will forget. I will never forget. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. You can come back and say, Lord, you were faithful then. I know you'll be faithful in the future. You want to tackle these giants like David did? Number one, you have got to lean on God's past faithfulness. But secondly, please get it in your heart, get it in your mind, get it in your notes. Secondly, David counted on God's current participation. It wasn't just, God, you've been faithful to me in the past. David counted that God was going to be there in the valley to face this giant that day. You see, David walks out to face Goliath. And Goliath's offended. (laughs) He's offended at Israel's choice. He says, I wanted a man. Not a 15-year-old young man. I want a man. (laughs) Goliath describes David as ruddy and good-looking. He's like, you got a tan face and you're kind of a pretty boy. I don't know if I, I... Why are you sending me somebody from the J. Crew catalog? I want a warrior. I want a warrior to fight. And then he says, listen to me, pretty boy. I'm going to give your flesh to be eaten by the birds. And David, love David. Verse 45, he says, one of the greatest lines in the Bible. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the living God whom you have defied. David realizes, oh, no, 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 no. It's not me versus you, Goliath. It's you versus God, and you're in trouble. Because I'm coming to you in the name of God, and all the Philistines are going to know, and all these crazy cowardly Jews are going to know that there is a giant in the valley of Elah, but his name isn't Goliath. His name is Yahweh. That's what David understands. He gets it, he sees it, and I believe the minute he says that, the battle's over. God is in heaven, just go, go ahead, throw that stone. Just throw that stone, David. I have, you, yes, just throw, David could have thrown it anywhere. I mean, he could have thrown it up in the air, it had gone down, and boom, right on the top of Goliath's head. He could have thrown it on the ground, it had bounced up and hit Goliath in the face. He could have thrown it backwards, it would have went around the world and hit Goliath in the back of the head, because God was fighting the battle, not David. And you, you've got to see this. You've got to see this because the same thing is true for you and me. You see, we start to think, I'm alone on this. How am I going to deal with these health issues? 
How am I going to deal with this financial crisis? How am I going to deal with this relationship problem? How am I going to do this? Why am I alone? Friend, you're not alone. You're not alone. It's so much about perspective. My, my son the other day, we were sitting on the couch and I see him doing this to me. I said, what are you doing, son? He says, I'm crushing your head with my fingers. <laughs> oh, it's good to know my son has homicidal tendencies. That's good. It's good to know. <laughs> but we've all done that. I mean, you put your finger on the top of a mountain, you know, as you're driving by, or you, you block out the sun with your thumb, or you crush your parents' head, <laughs> whatever it might be. We've done this, but the reason that's possible is because of perspective. Well, the same thing is true here. You see, we look at our problems and we see a giant situation because that's we're not seeing the situation in the light of who God is. But we've got to, friends, because God will keep us in those situations if we don't see it, if we don't understand, if we don't get it. God will let us struggle over and over again until we finally give up and realize, God, this is your battle. You have got to fight this for me. You have got to show up presently. I need you to deal with the health issues or, or, or take me home. I need you to deal with this relationship problem. I need you to get me out of this hole. I need you to deal with my sin. Lord, it's going to be about you. We've got to get there like David did. Such an inspiration. But then we say, how? How do I get there like David? How do I trust the Lord for the battle I'm in? Well, listen, friends. Not only did I think God put this story in the word to be an inspiration, but I also believe God put this story in the word as, number two, an illustration to you and me. Not just an inspirational story that we've heard time and time again, but it's also an illustration. I love pictures, don't you? Man, so often when my wife brings home some Ikea furniture, I'm just sweating. No one, I, I'm not going to understand those directions. Put dowel AB into PCQ, turn counterclockwise with this cool L tool we've provided for you. And no bunk bed should be put together with a tool that's about that size. That's not, impo- that's not okay. And I'll sit there and she, okay, uh, can I get you anything? And she leaves. And I wait till she leaves so I can be a man, but I just cry. She leaves. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> and then I see a picture and I go, oh, that sometimes helps. That's what they mean. Oh, that into there and oh, this way. Awesome. Yes. I love pictures. I love them. This is a picture, friends, a picture of what? Well, just as David, a real true story, David was sent by his father. David, the anointed son, sent by his father to go and minister to his brothers. And his brothers reject him. Why aren't you taking care of your few sheep? But nonetheless, David goes and he fights a representative battle. He was the only one in the Valley of Elah that day. The only one, and with that victory, he won victory for all of the nation of Israel. Does that sound familiar? Because there's another anointed son, the son of David, Jesus, who was sent by his father 
to come here amongst you and me and minister to his brethren. But we rejected him. But nonetheless, what did Jesus do? He went to the cross of Calvary and single-handedly, you and I weren't on that cross. You and I could have never have got it done. But he single-handedly went to the cross for you and me and purchased our salvation. He won our victory by himself. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5. He says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Paul says, through one man's sin, we all are in sin. Adam, our representative in the garden. What happened? He blew it. As Pastor Rob says a lot, he bombed. The first Adam bomb. See, I can still tell a corny joke and pin it on Pastor Rob. There it is. So so the reality is Adam bombed out. He bombed out. And because of that, I have a sin nature. You have a sin nature. We are lost in our transgression and sins. That's the bad news. But the good news, the good news, the gospel is though through one man's disobedience, sin entered the world, through one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, our sins, friends, are not just forgiven and forgotten. Our sins are gone. And the victory has been won. Not because of what you have done, not because what I have done, but our one representative Jesus, what he has done. How great is our God. So then, what is our response to that? What's our response? See, I think some people misrepresent grace when they say that On the cross, Jesus did everything that you need for salvation. You have nothing to do. That's true when it comes to our justification. Jesus making it just as if I'd never sinned. He took it away all by himself. You did nothing. You added nothing. But does that mean then we sit back and we do nothing? Of course not. Of course not. What did the children of Israel do once their representative won the battle in the field that day? What did they do? Well, look with me, if you would, in verse 50. In verse 50, we see what the nation of Israel does in response. If you picture the scene with me, David, this young man, runs at Goliath, takes that stone out of his pocket, slings the stone, and Goliath falls to the ground. What must it have been like to be a Philistine watching this battle? They see David run out and they think, this isn't a battle, this is murder. Like, this little kid's gonna get killed. And then they see their man fall over. I bet you some of them were thinking, Goliath, he's such a big kidder. (laughs) You're just kidding. You you fell on the ground and when David gets close to you, you're gonna say, you know, grab him by the feet and chop him up. Like, that's what you're planning, aren't you? Come on, you kidder. Look at verse 50. He ain't kidding. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran 
and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that, they realized he wasn't kidding. Their champion was dead and they fled. Now, now, verse 52, focus in. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. David, single-handedly, David, one representative, wins the victory for the children of Israel in the Valley of Elah. But the children of Israel don't sit back and just say, okay, good, let's go home. (laughs) What do they do in response to their representative's victory? Well, number one, did you notice? They shout. They worship. They get excited about what their representative has done. And I, I don't know, you guys seem lively this second service, so maybe you're already there. But friends, do you realize that's what our response should be? That we should be excited about what God has done for us? You know, we get opportunities here, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Tuesday night, Thrive, all these different, to get in this room and do what? To worship, to ascribe greatness to our God. And can I tell you what I honestly believe in my heart? That you have as much to do with the worship being dynamic as anybody that's up here on this stage. Listen, the people up here on this stage, they have to practice. They got to prepare. They got to know what they're doing. But you have a role to play too. You have to realize what God has done for you. How great our Savior is that we're not here at a show or a concert, but we're here to ascribe greatness to our God and we do it with a shout. God, you are amazing. You are good. And when we join together, then worship becomes dynamic. You know, when I was at the Bible college, worship is dynamic there. When I get to go out now and teach a class there, I get a chance to worship with those young men and women. It's dynamic. But sometimes they have a very talented person leading worship. Sometimes the person leading worship is me, who knows like four chords and five songs from circa 1996. (laughs) And it's still dynamic. Why? Because the people are involved. We're going to worship our God. We're going to ascribe greatness to God. And I just want to challenge you. We're going to wrap this up in just a couple of minutes and you're going to have an opportunity to shout, to say, God, thank you for what you have done in my life. They shouted, but that's not all they did. The last verse we read says that they plundered the tents of their enemies. David won the victory. David won the battle. David was the only one that represented them that day. But once David won, now it was time for them to go and plunder the tents of their enemies. And the same thing's true for you and me. Our salvation was purchased by our one, our Jesus Christ, who stood in for you and me. But now that salvation is won, there's something for you and I to do to rise up, to worship, and to plunder the tents of our enemies. 
Our enemies have had victory long enough over you and I. You see, these giants we face, they have a great ability to shame us, a great ability to discourage us, a great ability to get us off track. And maybe that's how you feel. You're embarrassed by your sin. You're embarrassed by your fear. You're embarrassed by your doubt. You feel stripped down and sent away. Do you know that's what the name Goliath means, by the way? It means to strip down and exile. And that's what Goliath did to them for 40 days. Come and fight me! And they all... (laughs) 40 days of stripping them down. 40 days of making them feel worthless. But what happened to Goliath in the Valley of Elah is what your Savior and mine has done to our enemy as well. You see, Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2. He says there that having disarmed principalities and powers, he, speaking of Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, Paul says. You see, Paul draws on Roman culture. And what they knew is when the Romans would have a victory over the Gauls or or over those in Carthage, they would take their king and they would bring the king back to the streets of Rome and they would strip that king down and they would whip him and beat him and embarrass him and drag him through the streets of Rome saying, we have conquered these people. These people are no longer a threat to you and you know that because of this public spectacle we're making of them. Paul says, Jesus has done that to our enemies. Just like Goliath stripped down the Israelites, so our enemy has been stripped of his authority. He's been stripped of his ability to have victory over you and over me. Like the cliche says, but it's a cliche because it's true that we fight not for victory, but from victory. God has given you the victory. You don't have to be in bondage any longer. You, because of what Jesus did, can plunder the tents of your enemy. Well, how do I do that? One last verse, and we'll go our way. Look back at verse chapter 18. In 17, 18 shouldn't be hard to find. But Jonathan's response to this battle has always just spoke deeply to my heart. Saul and Jonathan are watching. Neither of them showed up for the battle. They're watching. Saul's response in verse 1 and 2 is to say, David, you can't leave anymore and go back and take care of your father's sheep. You are one of my right-hand men from this day forward. Jonathan's response is a little different. Verse 3. Verse 3 of chapter 18. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan's response to David's victory is he comes before him and he says, I want to be in covenant with you. I don't want to be in competition with you. I I, I don't want to be against you. I want us linked together. And then Jonathan took off his robe, his sign and right to rule, and he handed it to David. You rule over me. 
He took his instruments of warfare and he laid them at David's feet. These will never be raised against you, is what he's saying. And I look at that and I see this great picture. You see, how do we plunder the tents of the enemy? How do we enter into the victory that God has provided for us over the fear that we have over giant health issues, giant financial issues, the frustration over giant relationship problems, the defeat over giant sin issues? How do we have this victory? Remember, it's Jesus that fights the battle. So we need to do what? We need to cling to him. We need to be in covenant with him. Lord, I don't want to be against you. I don't want to be doing my own thing, going my own way. I want to be linked to you. And I want to take off my right to rule my life. My right to demand my way and my will. And I want to surrender it to you, Lord. May it not be about my right, but your right to rule. And I want to take these instruments that I have used in the past, not, not to come against you, but, but definitely in rebellion to what your will is for me. And I want to lay down that anger. I want to lay down that bitterness. I want to lay down that lust and that fear and that doubt. I want to lay it down before you. And I want to acknowledge there is no king like you, Jesus. There is no king who has been faithful to me time and time and time again. And I know you're going to be faithful to me in the future. So Lord, I surrender. I plunder the tents of my enemies by surrendering to you and say, Lord, what are we doing? Where are we going? I want to know you and love you, cling to you, and let you lead me, as Paul says, from glory to greater glory from victory to victory by the power of our greater than David, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for this story, this story again that we have heard time and time again, but I pray that we would apply it to our lives today. Lord, just as David stood facing single combat against Goliath. None of the other men of Israel knew. They knew, wasn't they thought? They knew they had no chance against Goliath. And that reminds me of how that day, not in the Valley of Elah, but a few miles from there on Calvary's Hill, it looked dark. It looked bleak. It looked like the enemy had finally won. But instead, what was going in is you stood in for me. You stood in for us. And you won a victory on Calvary's cross that we never could. And we thank you for that victory. We embrace that victory. We're thankful that you are our Savior and you are our God. But now that you've saved us, Lord, may we plunder the tents of our enemies. May we walk in the victory that you have provided by clinging to you, 
by walking in a covenant relationship with you. By laying down our right to rule and our right to dictate. And laying down the instruments that we've taken up against you. Lord, may there be surrender in our hearts today. And shouts of victory from our hearts and lives. You have been so good to us. Lead us, Lord, we pray. From glory to greater glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.